Listeners, I have author Paula S. Owens in the studio with me today. Paula has written a novel based on the story of the little brown dog. You may remember I blogged about this topic back in April for World Day for Animals in Laboratories. I am absolutely thrilled and delighted to have found Paula's book, which will keep this very important event alive for years to come and serve as a reminder that we really aren't that much better than we were more than a hundred years ago. We are still enslaving other species. We are still insisting on dominion. The strong still dictate to the weak. We are still pulling down statues in an effort to hide uncomfortable truths. And we are still very much divided in our humanity. We must do better. And we will. This is what Paula had to tell me. Hello, Paula. Welcome to Dog Desk Radio today. Thank you for coming along and joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Paula, I am absolutely delighted that you've decided to write this novel, which is very, very near to fact, um, about the little brown dog, because many, many people don't know the story. Paula, how did you come across it? I came across it completely by accident. Uh, It was three years ago nearly to the day and I was walking along uh, Lavender Hill in London and some people might may know but a lot of people won't on Lavender Hill is a uh, quite a famous uh, venue called Battersea Art Centre and we just happened to uh, pop in to use the facilities there and we were accosted by uh, Battersea Art Centre staff uh, they were trying to encourage us to to uh, take part in this event that was just about to start. And because we had nothing else to do, we thought, well, why not? And the event consisted of local amateur historians talking talking about um, this, the history of Battersea Art Centre, which used to be Battersea Town Hall back in the day. And it was all very interesting. And then the last story that a lovely guy called Ian Mercell told was the story of the little brown dog of Battersea and I was completely blown away by it I couldn't believe I didn't know the story and it really affected me deeply and has been my obsession for the last three years. Okay so how did he find out about it was it through some sort of artifact or something? He was just generally um, looking at the archives of the okay. centre. So he was looking for he was looking for stories that um, that involved the Battersea Town Hall as was in the early part of the twentieth century, and he came across uh, a very peculiar um, set of meetings. Three public meetings were held in one week on one subject and each of those meetings was sold out in terms of standing room only and that that obviously tweaked his um, curiosity and he did dug deeper and found out that all three meetings were about this statue here behind me and he just did a bit more digging and came up with the story and told the story and then I took the mantle on on 
writing, writing the, the novel. I'm very, very glad that you did. Now, it's quite an extraordinary story, isn't it, listeners? We have these two ladies. Paula, let's talk about these ladies that noticed something, they didn't like it, and they thought, right, we're not having it. And they decided to do something about it. And they did something huge and quite unexpected from ladies in their position in that time, didn't they, Paula? Should we just have a little bit of a chat about them for a minute or two? Yes, of course, of course. Um, Just to say, so my story is very much based on the true story. But what I I have done uh, in terms of fictionalising it is swapped out the... um, the antagonists and the protagonists slightly so just for novel purposes just for novelization purposes so the original two ladies was actually swedish and both um well educated and upper class but my my heroines are um british one is english one is welsh and they're from different classes just to give more of a kind of a sense of different women's um positions of the time yeah and um yes so the story goes that these two women heard horrible rumors about things going on in the um medical schools of the universities in london and they couldn't they couldn't find any evidence so they decided that they had to infiltrate one of these um lectures shall we call them to find out exactly what was going on and that's what they did they and of course back in the day we're talking about the 1900s yeah. so women didn't have a voice they still were at least a decade away decade yeah. or more away from a vote yep and they were still pretty much the property of either their fathers or when they got married their husbands and so even though women were allowed to study medicine by that stage there were very very few women and only if you could afford it and you'd had the education could you if you were a woman be a medical student anyway they infiltrated this lecture in uh, university college london medical school and what they saw appalled them we won't go into it anymore what they saw appalled them and they came away and decided they had to do something about it and they did they they because of the status of women in those days, they needed help. They needed the help of a, of a man. So they, um, they got on board the, 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 the whole thing. A, a guy called Stephen uh, Coleridge, who was a lawyer and very active in the uh, anti-vivisection movement back in the day. And between them, they caused a lot of hassle for Didn't the, they? Uh, yes <laughs> didn't they just i think it quite extraordinary that they actually got into that lecture room in the first place and they kept a diary didn't they they diarized everything and that was their evidence if you like moving forward when they went to see the solicitor about this problem to ask him if there was anything that could be done so back over to you what was his answer to that well, this guy, um, Stephen Coleridge, he was quite a firebrand. And because he was of the establishment, uh, very rich, very well connected, I think he, he didn't have to worry too much about his reputation. And what he did was, and we'll never know if it was done on purpose or just hit at the moment, 
but he called out the main perpetrator of what happened at this lecture as a butcher, a barbarous kind of well, heathen or whatever, uh, in a public meeting. And of course, the press at the time picked up on this. And of course, then it got back to the, the, the academic in question, mm. who wasn't too pleased. Reputation so, is everything. It still is, isn't it? It still is. And to get a long story short, he, he sued for libel because it was printed in the press. So it, it wasn't just slander, it was libel. And a massive court case. It was the talk of the town. It was um, reported in all of the press. And I won't give away the, um, well, <laughs> the, the verdict, but there was a verdict. And then what happened was another lady. In, in my book, I keep it within the, the two, my two heroines. Yeah. But in real life, it was a third lady who uh, essentially crowdfunded for a statue, a memorial to that particular um, dog that was uh, within the lecture uh, that the ladies went to and fundraised the £120 very easily. And so they created this seven foot high. That's why you can't see the top of it here. It's a very beautiful, beautiful statue, isn't it? Was it bronze and marble? It's very luxurious materials. Well, it was uh, bronze. The dog was bronze and the... um, the, 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 pe- the pedestal, the pump the yeah. was granite. Oh, granite, okay. Yeah. And it was um, unveiled in a small park in uh, the, the, the borough of Battersea. And all sorts of celebrities of the day were there. Uh, George Bernard Shaw, for example, uh, gave a short speech and it was unveiled. And yeah. then the real trouble started. Yes. Uh, we're, we're very aware of controversial statues nowadays yes yeah this was one of the first i'm just going to find the quote there listeners that was actually on this beautiful beautiful statue i mean it even had a little drinking fountain for the dogs didn't it they really thought of everything but the the inscription said in memory of the brown terrier dog done to death in the laboratories of University College in February 1903 after having endured vivisection extending over more than two months and having been handed from one vivisector to another till death came to his release. Also in memory of the 232 dogs vivisected at the same place during the year 1902. And then it ends Men and women of England, how long shall these things be? That's quite an inscription, isn't it? Um, yes. How did the medical profession respond to that? <laughs> not, not very well. Um, there was uproar. There was absolute uproar. Um, everybody was up in arms about it. They tried to go down a legal route to get the statue removed, but, but there was no... Uh, removing it legally and what happened over a series of years uh, the medical students of London basically rioted there was violence there was repeated attempts to vandalize the statue and in the end it was got so bad that they had to um, appoint a police guard for the statue that's that was stood guard 24 7 yeah. 
Um, I've actually found something in Hansard here by a Mr. Gladstone, not the Mr. Gladstone, because it's the wrong period, obviously, listeners. But he's saying here that in all, 27 inspectors, 55 sergeants and 1,083 constables um, had been um, paid to protect the statue from this situation. That's an awful lot of money, isn't it, Paula? Mm. Yeah, an awful lot problem. of money. Yeah, um, and so it just vanished in the middle of the night. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, picked yeah. up the smoke. It went. <laughs> it was too expensive. And actually, in this this Hansard um, uh, thing that I've got here, um, this entry, listeners, there's also um, a bit of a kerfuffle going on in Parliament over it because a Mr. Smeaton from Stirlingshire. Um, it says something about the uh, statement of the facts on the statue being, you know, being quite true. And then Mr. Speaker has to step in and get them all to, to calm down, just to give you a little bit of a taste of the kind of things that you're going to read in Paula's book, listeners. Um, you know, we really did have medical students rampaging through the streets with little effigies of your know, poor little terriers mm. on sticks, clashing with suffragettes and trade unions. People. I mean, it was just, it was bedlam, wasn't it? It was, it was. And so that's why it's so astonishing that the story is, was so little known. Um, I'm hoping to, to change that with this retelling of it. But it's, it is, it's an astonishing story and very, sadly, very apt for our times now, whether yes. it's the controversial statues that people try to uh, take, you know, take down or whether it's, it's cruelty to animals. Why do you think there was so much support for the little terrier and the ladies and Mr. Coleridge at a time when, you know, most people um, would have been very preoccupied with just keeping a roof over their heads and putting food on the table? Why were they so supportive of it, do you think, Paula? Well, can I draw a comparison to today? Mm. Why has so many people got behind and supported and been outraged by the death of Geronimo the alpaca. When we are keeping, trying to keep a, a roof over our heads, trying to keep petrol in our tanks, trying to keep kind of the food on the shelves. Mm. It's exactly the same. It's, yeah. it's, it's such an echo. Just one, one dog that died, one alpaca that was put to death by government forces. It just touches people's hearts. Yes, humanity. Some of us have it. Yeah, it stirs the humanity within us, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. It's that sense that we can't stand by and watch voiceless be abused in such a way. We have to be their voices. Yes, and trying not to be political, but I'm going to be. Um, we can't just pull down statues and pretend that things didn't happen. No, I know. I'm obviously I. After all, after all this work, I'm very much against pulling any statue down. A statue has to be put into context and exactly. kind of and explained. Exactly. Explain why it's there. Explain the 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 circumstances of of when it was created and yeah if we just pull things down and try to destroy them so there's no trace then we don't learn from our mistakes do no. we you yes. know the the dialogue around that statue has to change 
it's not a celebration of whatever terrible thing that we did. And we have done some really awful things in our past history, but it's there to remind us that we did those awful things and that it must never, ever happen again. I'm going to get lambasted for this. So listeners, go easy on me. But, you know, think about it. It should not have disappeared. Now, they made another statue, didn't they, Paula? Yes. So uh, roll forward to the 1980s. And a second statue was uh, um, commissioned. It's nothing like this statue. It wasn't a reproduction of the original statue. So it was, um, it's a Portland Stone square plinth with uh, another bronze dog on the top, but nothing like the original dog. And it sits to this day in Battersea Park. Now that isn't the same park as the original statue was um, positioned. Uh, but there was lots of controversy about that as well. Uh, it was, so it was unveiled in the mid eighties by uh, the actress Geraldine James, mm -hmm. who was starring in Jewel in the Crown at that point. So it was quite famous. And it stood in quite a, a prominent position near something called the Pump, Pump House in, in Battersea Park. And it stood there for a, for a while. But then the powers that be, this by this time it was Wandsworth Council, there was no such thing as Battersea Council in the, uh, by the 80s. The powers that be decided for kind of reasons kind of unknown to take it away, put it into storage for renovation of the park. And of course, this caused another uproar, but no, no riots or violence. But there was a persistent campaign to get that statue back in the park. And they won. This time around, they won. And it was put back into Battersea Park in the 90s, but not in the same position. It was put in a, a less prominent, yeah, yeah. Much, yeah, much less prominent position. It's, it's there to this day. Um, but I... I, I obviously I've visited it quite a few times, but I find the, the expression on the dog really, really sad because in the original, the dog is, is, is proud. proud and yeah. looking out. Uh, but in the second statue, the dog looks fearful and coward. Yeah. And yeah, it breaks my heart a little bit. Yes. That statue, listeners, I believe was commissioned by NAVS also. I think it was yes. in 1985. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, I am very curious as to um, what inspired you to write this, because you are actually um, a nonfiction writer, aren't you, with an environmental, a very keen environmental background. Um, obviously, you're going to say the story, the dog. How did you make that transition from nonfiction to fiction? Was it difficult, Paula? Yes, I've not written a word of fiction since my school days i will just interject um, listeners she writes beautifully i've only read about a chapter and i'm like wow this is lovely the description takes you there it's fabulous so well done for that boy. it's great thank you carry thank you. on it was a it was a slog and that's about the fourth or fifth <laughs> version i've written um so the first yes um i didn't actually want to write the novel when i first heard the story I was sitting there kind of completely blown away by the story, but it, I found it very visual. 
and I could just see the film in front of my eyes. I thought it, it has just all the perfect components of a brilliant independent British film. And so once we left Battersea uh, uh, Art Centre and I just couldn't get the idea of, of, the, of a film of this story out of my head. So I decided, um, I'd not written, I, I knew nothing about that. I know nothing about screen. I knew nothing about screenwriting. I decided I was going to write a, the, the screenplay of the film. Okay, so it began that way. It began that way. So I just did a few online courses and just started writing the script. And um, I, I showed it to a few actory pals of mine and they're like, oh, a good first attempt, but it's, <laughs> it's slightly overwritten. Have you not thought of the novel? I mean, you're halfway there already with it. So, and to be honest, I realized, even though I'm a determined kind of person, I realized it was hardly likely that somebody was going to pick up a screenplay from somebody who'd never written a screenplay before in their lives. So I was eventually persuaded that the way to get this to be a film is write the book first, get the book out there, and then sell the rights to the film to um, whoever. Is Netflix, in... Netflix, we're calling you. We this are... has to be a film. It, totally. It, yeah, it's got all of the drama. It's got the intrigue. It's it's a perfect film. I don't think it would work so well as a TV series because pe some people have said, oh, it's easier to make TV series than films, but yeah. it's just a perfect, say, two-hour film. Yeah, and it's, you know, it resonates so well with current society, doesn't it, as you were saying before. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, we've got Camp Beagle going on at the moment. I don't know if you're aware yeah. of that. Lots of I people am. camping out. There's, you know, mm. puppy farming going on down there in Cambridge, hope I've got that yeah. right. Yeah. Um, you know, 2,000 dogs a year um, are hauled off for um, the chemical testing, agrochemicals, um, toxicology, nothing more than that. Um, and they don't want us to know about it. Lots of secrecy, it's their currency. We haven't changed there at all. No, no. Um, okay, so where can listeners find your book amazon seems to be sold out constantly amazon are rubbish <laughs> <laughs> um they they sold out on the day of launch and that's probably because of that observer article that came out on the sunday before we launched um other online retailers sold out as well but they all have stock in now and are um you order it you get it within days with amazon you can order it but they're saying a 23rd of october delivery so if if any of your listeners want to get a hold of a copy if they go to the website which is littlebrowndog.london i've put a stock it stockists page there and i've i kind of look at every day just to make sure everything's so I put in stock where they are in stock and then I, I put with Amazon you won't get it till the 23rd so listeners can find all of the online stockists on that website brilliant okay what's next for you oh, well, you haven't finished the book yet but when you get to the end you realize I have left my two heroines at quite a crossroads in their lives and I finished the book and I just couldn't leave them there. So 
I thought, well, I have to write the sequel. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. And also, I again, serendipitously, um, came across the story of an amazing suffragist that I'd never heard of. And the, some of the things she, she did were extraordinary. And so, again, I really don't like the fact that this, this amazing woman is not lauded as some of the others are. And so I'm writing uh, uh, Eliza and Alina's story, but I'm bringing in this, this um, Brilliant. as well. So, Brilliant. Um, yeah. We mustn't forget people. Before we go, can we have a quick look at that little dog on the top of your statue there? Can you, can you zoom up? Do you mind? Yes, he's seven foot tall. That's why he's not in view. But there he is. Yeah, looking quite in charge and sorted and happy. It is a bit nicer than the current one, isn't it, uh, well, Paula? Yeah, I, I think so. And I'd love to be able to reinstate this whole this, yes this statue, because that that awful bit at the end of his life was just a very small part of that dog's life we need to remember that when awful things happen to yeah. all animals don't we and people also okay i'm going to leave that there paula we're going to talk to you again paula's going to come along to book club um, I'm going to chat about that to you in a minute. Meantime, I'm going to say thank you very, very much for coming along, Paula. And thank you so much for writing the book. And I can't wait for the film. <laughs> Neither can I. <laughs> thank you, Michelle.